right, how's everybody doing this morning? Y'all good? Good, good, good. Awake. Good to see y'all in the house of the Lord. We are so glad. Can we give it up for our guests one more time? I know we've let them know <clears throat> what they mean to us. And let me, let me just say a word to our guests. You know, if you're here today with family, we just welcome you. Some of you may be from out of town. That's awesome that you're hanging out with family. If you're in the community and you are looking for a local church, we would love to have you come be a part or keep following the Holy Spirit and what He might have for you. And so we just pray um, that uh, you encounter His presence today in a mighty fresh way and that everyone does. And uh, man, we've got a reason to celebrate. And so I'm going to do it with every bit of voice I got in me with the help of the Holy Spirit uh, this morning and just grateful that you are here. We have been building up to this Sunday. Now, this Sunday, for those who are believers and Christians, it's extra special. Every day is a special day when you know Jesus, but this Sunday is kind of like that for your spiritual. It's like your, it, you, you, it's spiritually like a birthday. Right? When you're having your birthday as a person, it's like that special day. Well, when we talk about Jesus, all right, we know when he was born and we know we celebrate his birthday at Christmas, but the rebirthing that we celebrate, if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, where you've been transformed, actually happens through the power of what happened on this day some 2,000 years ago when Jesus came and did for you and me what we could not do for ourselves and what we needed somebody to do. And he's the only one that could do it. And so that's why we get pretty stoked about this day. And it's more than just showing up and, uh, you know, putting on a colorful outfit and all y'all look pretty. Tell your neighbor, say, you look pretty today. Now tell him again, say, but it ain't about you, sweetheart. That felt weird calling a man that, I know, but anyway. All right, so we get it all straight. But, but it is not, it is about what happened 2,000 years ago, regardless of what your outfit or your colors look like or your hair looks like today. And so we're just grateful you're here because Jesus has a heartbeat that he wants to lead our heartbeat to be all about him. And so we've been in this series called The Stone, The Stone. And we started out in week one, and I just want to bring some of you on the page here and remind the rest of us that have been here that we said, first of all, when we looked at Jesus, The Stone, um, is that he was the rejected stone. Now, it's important that we understand uh, this building up today to the risen stone because the Bible says that uh, literally he was uh, the, the stone that the builders rejected. So just like we see people rejecting him today, there were the builders. It says the builders rejected him. And back in that time, they, to build a proper foundation, that's what God wants to do in every person in this room. God wants to build a proper foundation. We started out with a proper foundation, and then we messed it up because we disobeyed God. You say, well, I don't remember being in the garden naked. Well, you was a representation of you in the garden naked. And had you been there, you would have done the same thing that Adam and Eve did. And so by one man's sin entered the world, therefore we've all sinned. So one thing that everybody in this room has in common is you're a sinner. All right, there's no perfect people in here, and the only one that makes us perfect is Christ and Christ alone. So your good works doesn't make you perfect. Your pedigree doesn't make you perfect. Your past doesn't make you perfect. Uh, and somebody said, praise God for that, amen, because if you've come to Jesus, uh, then your past is under the blood when you're in a relationship with him. And so we're going to talk about what it means to, uh, to literally take this concept and not be crushed by the stone, but to be conquered by the stone, uh, the risen stone of Jesus. And so we said the first week, and these takeaways I think are important as we, as we look at this truth, this, this central truth uh, in Jesus. The takeaway the first week was do not reject the stone of God that leads you to the throne of God. Now the Bible's very clear um, that there's only one way to heaven, but you'll never find people so messed up trying to find so many different ways to heaven. That's called universalism, but the Bible clears that up. 
And so it's foolish to try to align yourself with any other method, any other teaching, and think that there is another way. Or, but you see, so for us, if you're a guest here today and you may be an agnostic or an atheist, and I pray to God there's some of those here because that means the Spirit's doing a work and that we're being obedient as the church. But I want to encourage you and let you know that if you'll open your heart today and your mind and just receive, just sit back and receive and not refute, but just receive. And ask God to speak to you, the Holy Spirit of God will speak to you, and He will show you why there is still an emptiness in you. And He will show you in a loving way and also in a convicting way because a God who loves us chastens us in His children. And so through the Holy Spirit, He'll show you in a convicting way to encourage you and to uh, turn you from trying to build your life upon yourself to build your life up on human philosophy, to build your life on anything uh, other than Jesus Christ himself, and so that he can lead you in a relationship to him, so don't reject him. The respected stone, um, we looked at the following week, we talked about Mary, the sister of Martha, and uh, for some of you who've never heard that story, uh, literally Jesus raised a man from the dead before he raised himself from the dead, and that was a man named Lazarus, a very close friend of his. And so his sister, last week we saw where she showed respect to Jesus and was hanging on to the words that he even spoke uh, about uh, that he was the resurrection and the life. And I think she was hanging on to that even though she didn't totally understand it. But what she did model for us is this truth and takeaway is that when you sit at the feet of the stone and daily make your heart his home, then you will be in more in tune with what is really going on. So even, remember this, building up to this point in the life of Jesus, even his disciples that he had spent time with, they didn't get it in the fullness, okay? They didn't quite understand it. And I thank God they were coming along, and thank God he still uses old roughneck, crazy redneck fishermen. Could I get a witness in the house for some of us rednecks like me? All right, and so thank God he can use anybody, uh, literally in that time. That It's not about their pedigree, it's not about their seminary training, it's just about an open heart being willing to throw down your nets, your life, your chasing whatever dream the enemy tries to paint out there to follow Jesus. And so the disciples were willing to do that, but the disciples were still learning and growing, and they hadn't reached the point. That's actually the beauty of the credibility of this day that we celebrate of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you'll see that as we get more into the message. Well, today's takeaway with the risen stone is this simple concept, but so true. And absolutely everybody's eternity will depend on this takeaway right here and what you do with it. And that is this. There's only one stone to build your life upon. There's only one stone to build your life up on. Now, Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8, is kind of the story and account that we're going to go to today. Mark gives an account of this story of the resurrection so let me paint the picture of what's happened for those who may have never heard the gospel. And it's the only good news that will set you free. is that Jesus has been crucified on Friday. That's why we celebrate it and call it Good Friday because it was terrible, uh, the pain that he had to go through. But when you see the beauty of it, it was good. It wasn't just good. It was great for us. We should call it Great Friday, amen, because of what the cross represents. At the cross, at the cross, literally we sing about where I, where I first saw the light, you see, what keeps many people from coming to Jesus and the stone that the enemy uses and the barrier to keep people coming to Jesus is their pride and their unwillingness to see themselves as needing a Savior. There's something in us, it's called pride, there's something in every one of us that kind of wants to be our own Savior 
kind of wants to save ourselves in the flesh. And the Bible constantly warns and talks about that. Well, in Mark chapter 16, we find these ladies uh, that loved Jesus. They had been around. They had seen him perform his miracles. They had seen the difference that he had made. He was making a difference in their life. And now they've watched him die on a cross. And so Mark chapter 15 says they experienced a necessary death. So these ladies are sitting there at the cross. If you remember and you've heard the story and on the accounts, the disciples, the disciples had cowardly, Peter being the main one, had, had cowardly run away from the persecution because he had not truly embraced Jesus in his fullness. In his fullness, you see. But he's about to, and he doesn't even realize it. Now, these ladies, they were coming. They were showing their love. They were at the cross. They experienced a necessary death. But I want you to notice Mark chapter 16 as we read this text, and we'll set this up <clears throat> as we walk through the text this morning and as I get another drink of water. Everybody say, thank God for water. Amen. Especially water where you'll never thirst again. That's the water Jesus gives. But for now, the son he's going to have to do to get me through. All right. So. <clears throat> Man, that's good. All right, so they encountered a necessary death. I want you to see this. Look at Mark uh, chapter 16. Um, it says in verse 1, When the Sabbath uh, was passed, Mary Magdalene, here's some of the ladies, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, mm, that'll preach, all right, if you change that U to an O, amen. And they didn't realize it, but they were about to. They went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, make sure you see this question, all right? Because this, this question right here is going to drive a lot of the message today, or God's going to use it. Who will roll the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Verse 4. And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. What? Everybody say, what? What? There you go. I heard that one. That was a good one. All right. So it was very large. Notice, it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. And they're probably thinking, yeah, we saw it. We had a front row seat, and we're discouraged, and we're downcast, and we're depressed. And then he gave them these words of life. He gave them this hope. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See the proof. Then he says this. He gives them an exhortation to spread the word like we should be doing. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, it's good that we have all the accounts of the gospel because you get, uh, you get different parts, but you get the same thing in these stories just from a different author. And so when you look at the other accounts, you see the same thing, that these ladies were astonished, they were frightened, they were startled, but they didn't stay that way. They didn't stay. Fear did not dominate them from the reality and truth of what God was showing and what God was going to do through them. So literally the other accounts say that they did what the angels said. And they went and they told the disciples. Now, the disciples didn't believe them. And you can imagine that. Uh, but they didn't believe them. And, and you've got to remember, the disciples were locked inside a house, scared to death that they might be next. And so that refutes a lot of the um, false theories that people try to do to explain away the resurrection. And so th these ladies, they not only experienced a necessary death at the cross, and we here's the, here's the deal. We must experience that death 
See, sometimes we want to skip that part. We want all the blessing. We want all the conveniences. We, 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 we want all the good stuff. But we don't want to die to ourselves to experience the death where Christ tasted death for everyone. Now, let me paint that picture because some might say, well, I thought he died. Why do I have to die? He did die on a cross that you should have died on and I should have died on and somebody should have bore the wrath of God. He tasted death, the Bible says, for everyone, amen, so that we wouldn't have to taste the spiritual death and spend eternity separated from a loving, holy God and spend it with the devil and the demons whom hell was created for. The Bible says, and so we we don't have to we don't have to worry about paying for our sin, but what we do come and do, or we should do, is respond to the Holy Spirit of God, acknowledge our sin, because John says, "He who says he has no sin uh, is is a liar." Is basically calling God a liar because he says that we've sinned. And Isaiah said, all of our righteousness is filthy rags. And so the first concept that we must get to, the first stone that must be rolled away for us is the stone and barrier that's keeping us from getting to Jesus and keeping us from seeing Jesus. Now, these ladies encountered that, and so we see that they encountered a new day even though they didn't realize that it was a new day yet. And they walked to the tomb, and they encountered a new day. Why is that important? Because it changed history. Because in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was to be honored. It was to be holy. It's there. It's one of the commandments. And, and he said, honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. It's, and so basically, they would honor the Sabbath, but it was under the Old Testament mindset, and it was under the law. And so the Sabbath was on what day in the Old Testament? Anybody know? It's on Saturday. That's right. And so, but now we're in here gathered, and we're on Sunday, and we're resurrected. Well, I mean, we're worshiping a resurrected king. Well, what happened is when Jesus arose on Sunday, the church then began to realize we are under a new covenant. We are washed under the blood of the lamb. We're not depending on an Old Testament sacrifice, on a ram, a lamb, or a pigeon. We come washed by the blood of the lamb. We come in relationship with Jesus, and so it's a new day. Everybody say, it's a new day. Now look at your neighbor and say, we meet every Sunday. Say, come and join us if you don't have a place. Amen? Every Sunday, we gather together corporately to worship Christ, and God is honored and glorified that. So we see these ladies. We see their care, their care, and that they're coming to anoint him. They're coming to take care of his body, a dead body. Now, we do bodies a little bit different today, and I know we're all grateful for that, right? Uh, that we leave that up to the funeral home director to take care uh, of the body and that we don't have to do that. But back in this day, they did. They did a little bit different. And so these ladies were coming to pay respect, to take care of his body. They show their care. But notice their concern. Their concern that I want you to see is the same concern that many of, many of us have and that every individual uh, should have at some point in their life. Verse 3, what is their concern? Their greatest concern is, as they're going to the tomb, remember, downcast, discouraged, defeated, depressed, still under the Roman opposition that they are under, still trying to cling and hold on to the truths of the prophets in the Old Testament that there is one greater coming, that there is one that Psalm 22 talks about, that Isaiah talks about, who's absolutely going to uh, be the only one who can be the spotless lamb of sacrifice, looking forward to the, the one that they didn't even realize the power of Abraham climbing Mount Moriah to sacrifice his own son, and God did it as a test, and God also put a ram and a lamb, and God put a ram in the thicket, and one day would put a lamb upon a cross that you and I should have died on. And so they're going with that mindset, 
and they're, but they're, they're just discouraged. And can I tell you something? If you try to live for Jesus, if you try to continue the journey of being who he wants you to be, you're going to face times of discouragement. You're going to face times where you feel defeated. And the power of the big picture of this message is, is that death has no hold on you. Death has no hold on you. Discouragement, depression has no ultimate hold, hold on you. You may face it in bouts because you're in an unredeemed flesh, and you will. But when you see the big picture, you'll begin to realize that no matter what barrier is in between you and Jesus, no matter what barriers for the believer that the enemy tries to put out there are self-inflicted barriers that you bring up yourself, and being in the flesh, nothing can stop that from you getting to Jesus. So their concern was, who will roll the stone away for us? Have you ever noticed when you get really serious about Jesus, for those who have tried it, that it seems the enemy will put stones and barriers in between you, and that's not your spouse if you're married, okay? It may seem like it sometimes, but that's not who your stone or barrier uh, is. Uh, literally, uh, but, but he will put stones in front of you and your bear. It actually could be your spouse, but it's a different message for a different time. But literally speaking, there are barriers and stones that the enemy will put in place to try to keep you from seeing Jesus. Now, the enemy used Pilate in this story to put a stone. The Bible said it was very large stone. So he had thought this through. They had, taught, they had thought all of this through, and so they put a large stone. So these ladies' concern is, who's going to move this large stone? We, we just want to get in and pay our respects and see Jesus. Who's going to roll the stone away for us? So I want to ask you a question this morning. What are the stones in your life that the enemy uses to keep you from seeing Jesus? What are they? What were they if you're a believer? For some, you can say, well, mine was this. Mine was, mine was the stone of temptation, Pastor. I didn't give my heart to Jesus maybe when I was young, when he first drew on my heart. Some would say, I can't recall him ever drawing on my heart because I didn't grow up in church. And we pray to God we see more people like that as we fulfill the vision God's given us because there's a lot of people who didn't grow up in church. America being, one of the, America being the fourth most unreached uh, group of people as a whole in a country that don't know Christ, that's unchurched. America has become that because the church has set inside and isolated herself and internally, with an internally focus, and has refused to go out on the highways and hedges and compel them. But there, there's stones. And so for you, it, it may be that you got to be in a teenager. And around here, uh, we absolutely take the mask off, the church mask, and we'll, we'll continue to push you to take the church mask off and admit that there's a little bit of enjoyment in sin. There's a little bit of enjoyment. You say, what? Pastor? You've enjoyed sinning in the past? Yep, just like you. And just like some of you on the edge, you, the stone's there in between you. It may be an immoral relationship. It may be your pride. It may be porn. It may be a stone of great insecurity where you're, you just feel so worthless. And you're trying to find it in other people. You're trying to make someone else that stone who will take care of your problem. Who will roll that stone away? Who will take that pride away for you? 
Who will take that insecurity away from you? Who will take that depression away? Who will take that addiction away from you? Who will take that uncertainty away from you? See, that should be your concern. And I believe if you'll listen to the Spirit of God, and we listen to the Spirit of God, it becomes our, uh, our concern. But there's enemy stones of the enemy, and then there's self-inflicted stones. Whether it be stones of temptation, selfishness, stones of refusing to surrender, stones of pride, that is a form of pride, stones of fun and temporary pleasure of sin. But remember, I said I enjoy sin, but I'm reminded of the counsel of God, the full counsel of God, who says sin is temporary pleasing, but then reminds you it's for a season. It's for a season. And that's why when you cross that line in sin, when you're a believer, there might be the temporary pleasure still in it, in that unredeemed fleshly body. We won't get a new body like Christ where we won't have the desire to sin until he comes back to resurrect his church. So that desire to fulfill that gratification, temptation itself, not a sin. It's when we allow ourselves to be drawn away, Peter talks about, and enticed, and it gives birth to sin. That desire is temporary pleasing, but there's always, there's always dirtiness behind it. There's always a feeling that comes with that. There's always a consequence that comes with that. We all know that if you're a human being in here, because one thing we all have in common is we all have sin. Now, if you're a non-believer, it doesn't bother you like it does a believer, okay? When it will begin to bother you, when it will begin, for instance, let me give you an example. If there's someone in here and you've been unfaithful to your spouse and you're a non-believer, all right? Well, you probably know, you, well, you do know. You can't say, well, I didn't know that was bad. Well, you tell her what you're doing and you'll get jack slapped, right? Because it's bad. And so, but as a non-believer, you, you may know that, but you are not going to know it like someone who is a believer in Christ. See, because someone who's a believer in Christ has been called to a new way of living, to a new way of walking. And someone who's a believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. And so not only are they participating in that sin, they are automatically bringing Jesus into that sin. So, so it's going to be easier to justify it as a non-believer. And I'm just going to be honest with you and call you flat out. By the grace of God, there go I. If I didn't have Jesus and was, a, and was a non-believer, I'd probably do a lot of things that offer temporary, more things that offer temporary satisfaction and not realize the power that God wanted to put in me to, to overcome those temptations. And so that's the power that God's made possible because Jesus resurrected himself never to die again and says that we have resurrecting power in ourselves, and one day we will be resurrected if we die on this earth. And so that's, that's the way the Bible talks about this. So what are the stones? That's what I want to ask you. What are the stones in your life that the enemy uses to keep you from seeing Jesus? What are those stones? The reality is the stone is not what's really keeping you out. You're what's keeping you from seeing Jesus. That's the reality. See, we want to blame it on the stone sometimes. Well, that old devil, you know what I'm saying? Well, he's after all of us, okay? That old devil, or if he hadn't have done that or made me feel that way, or if she hadn't have done that and made me feel that way, or, or if, if this hadn't happened, or why did God do this anyway and even make it optional? Why do you even make it optional? And we begin to ask all of these questions, but always remember best, okay? Always remember this. God, God 
is not the one who jacked you up, amen, and jacked me up and messed us up. We, because God gave us the ability, God gave us the choice, God gave us the warning, God gave us the exhortation, we are the ones who did that by one man sinning in the world, therefore we all have sinned. And so the reality is God wants to set you free from that sin, lead you in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and so you can build your life up on Jesus as the stone so you won't act the way that brings dishonor to God. And when you think about the stone and these ladies and their concern about who's going to remove this large stone, then the truth behind this is that the angel didn't remove the stone. Don't miss this. The angel didn't remove the stone for Jesus to get out. The angel removed the stone so that these ladies and the disciples that they would tell could come and see in and their faith would be encouraged, strengthened, and absolutely make them whole. So they were encountering the resurrected king, they shortly would, for the first time. So here's the truth. If you go in faith, don't miss this, if you go in faith really wanting to see Jesus, God will make a way for you to see him. And that's what happens to the ladies at that tomb. Now here's how that works. Some people come in today to this room, and some people come in churches all over the world that preach the gospel, and some will come, and they'll come looking. They'll come looking. They'll come with the stones in their life. They'll come with the pain. They'll come with the sins. Many will come discouraged. Many will come feeling defeated. But they'll come with an expectation that if there is hope, I want to find it. I need. Those are the people that will find it today, you see, because they're looking for it. They're looking for it. There'll be others who come today that the Spirit will have to do a greater work because they'll come in just like this. Well, I'm doing it because Mama wants me there because it's Easter. Or I'm doing it because it's the thing you're supposed to do because it's Easter Sunday. I did it on Christmas. I'll do it today. And can I just tell you, I'm so glad you're here. But you're going to be a little harder nut to crack today for the Spirit. Amen? But He can do it. He can do it. And He wants to do it. And He wants to do it. And hey, can I tell you something? I'm no greater than you. I'm no great. Nobody else is greater than you because we've received Christ. We're reminded that we are absolutely dependent on Christ. And honestly, a true believer can't get over that he would love them enough to pull them out of the mess that he pulled them out of or to not pass them by or to, or to extend grace to them when they didn't have a pedigree, when they didn't bring anything to the table. And so... Our prayer is, my prayer is, is that God will move in your heart, and you'll say, there are barriers in keeping me from getting to Jesus. There are barriers. And some of you come in here and you say, I, you don't know what those barriers are, Pastor. You just don't know some of the things I've done. You just don't know how mean I am, Pastor. You just don't know the sins I've committed. Would God really, would God really change me this morning? Look, you better believe it. You better believe it. He absolutely provided the change on the cross for you if you'll just follow and obey. If you'll just co confess those sins, accept his sacrifice. If you'll just say, no longer are stones going to come in between me and you. Who's going to roll this stone away in my life? Who's going to roll the stone ultimately of sin away? Only Jesus. Now, let me talk to some people that's grown up in church possibly in here, or you've went here and there. 
Who's the only one who can roll away the stone of religion? Only Jesus. Only Jesus can roll away the stone. You say, what in the world is a stone? I thought I wanted religion. No, 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 no. I'm talking about religion in a negative way to where you try to find God and you try to get in the throne of God by your works, by your church attendance, by doing like the Pharisees who were more concerned about the outside and impressing people and wearing that little church mask and that little mask of I've got my life all together and you banking on that or that pedigree, banking on religion to get you into the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the occultic religions that are all around us who believe it's a works-based faith, whether it be Mormonism, whether it be Jehovah's Witness, whether it be those that are all around us, and we need to pray. We need to in love pray for them. We need to in love preach the gospel and the, and the truth so that they can be set free. We don't need to be Pharisees and turn our nose up necessarily. We do need to be grounded in the Word and understand what John 1, 1, meets, that, uh, 1 means, that Jesus uh, is the Word of God. The Word of God was with God in the Word of uh, God um, became flesh among us, John 1.14 says. In the beginning, John 1.1 1, 1 is the key. That's why we put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. He was with, he is, and he forever will be. God to us. And so though, I, w- I want to give you some biblical examples right here. For those of you who think, oh, I just don't know that God can save me. You don't know my situation. And those stones are keeping you away from God. One lady had a stone of sickness. She had a stone of sickness, and she could have had a pity party. She had been bleeding for over 12 years. She was weak. There were tons of people around wanting to see Jesus. They had heard about him perform his miracles. And this lady, she, she, there was something in her, and it was the Holy Spirit of God, but there was something in her. She had tried everything, been bleeding, had a physical issue. It was a stone in her life, but she wasn't satisfied. She didn't sit home in pity. She had a bit of hope that the Spirit of God gave her. And she said, I've heard about this man. I'm going to push through all these other stones, all these other people, to try to get to this man named Jesus. So God gave her the gift of faith to just push through. And what happened, if you never heard that story, is when she pushed through all these other stones of people, that, e- that easily the enemy could have said, there's just too many. They're a lot stronger than you. They're, they're, there's too many of them to push through. The lady got as low as she could. And by the way, if you're going to find Jesus, ultimately, spiritually speaking, you got to humble yourself. You got to get low. You got to die to your pride. You got to die that you're going to be able to bring your own healing, as this lady did. And she pushed through. And the Bible says that immediately when she touched the hem of his garment in faith, that he knew the power had come out of him. He turned around and he looked at this lady. And he actually turned around in the crowd and he said, What? Who touched me? And he wasn't getting on to anybody, was he? Who touched me? He, he knew immediately that somebody had demonstrated such great faith. They didn't have to be in the spotlight. She just wanted to touch him in her faith. But when she touched him, he made her hope. There was a wee little man who, who, who robbed everybody and was hated by many in the community, and he, he was tired of being that way. He was tired of being that way. There was something in him that was tired of being that way. He was looking for hope. Before you can get to Jesus and be changed and transformed, you got to get sick and tired of being who you are and how you are and what sin's done to you. 
So you've got to be wise enough to refuse the temporary pleasure that comes from sin and say, it's not worth it. Everybody say, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And when you say it's not worth it and come to Christ, you experience a true freedom that is greater than the temporary pleasure of sin. And as long as you stay in the Word and you, and you follow God's way, God's going to speak to you, and you're not going to have to have the power. You don't even have the power. I don't even have the power to keep from sinning in and of myself. Do y'all get that? No man or no woman in this room does. That power comes from the resurrected king, and we embrace him. We have resurrection power. So I love this one. i got to give you this one real quick. The woman at the well. For those of you who have never heard that story, there was a lady sitting by a well. She was a Samaritan. The Jews looked at Samaritan as dogs. Jesus is still trying to lead his disciples like he is us to grow, to grow in maturity, to grow in faith. And he's trying to lead them. But he, he's, he says, I must go through Samaria. Now, I'm sure it would have been great if one of the disciples said, well, I know everybody's talking about what you're going to eat and we're, you know, go get some food, but I'm going with Jesus. Amen? See, you see what you miss when you're more worried about feeding yourself physically than you are about walking with Jesus and what he might be about to do in somebody's life? See, the disciples missed it. And Jesus even told them, he said, my meat, my will, my greatest concentration is to do the will of him who sent me. And so there's a lost woman over here that all the Jews have turned their nose up. All the pharisaical mindset has turned their nose up toward this woman because she's just an outcast. She's just an outcast. And the last place she needs to be is in the temple where all the holy people are, right? And all the perfect people are, but not Jesus. Because Jesus didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. He came for the sick. And everybody that I'm looking at in here, all right, about to burst some bubbles. You sick, man, at one time. Some of you sick right now. And I don't mean that in the grave. I mean that in love. I was sick. Till he saved me, amen? I was sick in sin. And you don't want to die sick in sin. You don't want to die refusing Christ. You don't want to die doubting. You want to be like this lady because when this lady, when Jesus began to read her mail, like he's doing the Holy Spirit, sending some of you and saying, there's your stone. Your stone's unbelief. Your stone's you're an agnostic. Your stone's you an atheist. Your stone's your pride. You stones you insecure. You stone is this. You stones you addiction. And the Holy Spirit will lead you to give it up. You see, this woman at the well, when Jesus began to read her mail like the Holy Spirit will do, you know what? She didn't run away from it. I'm telling you, anybody that comes to Jesus Christ, there'll be something that goes on inside of them that you'll want to run. And the enemy will encourage you to run, but you will experience the power and the presence of God when you get serious about that sin. And so this lady encountered Jesus. He read her mail, said, you got five husbands. The one you're with now is not even your husband. And that would have been the time that a lot of people would have said, I don't know who he thinks he is. See, but Jesus didn't condemn her. Jesus told her in love. Jesus said, woman, I'm going to give you water where you'll never thirst again. I'm going to give you water where you'll never look to a man and all these men that have hurt you to be your stone. I'm going to give you a water where you can build your life upon me and be the stone of God that will lead you to the throne of God, and you'll never thirst again. So she did run away. Can I tell you that? She did run away. But when she ran away, it was to go and tell all those people and all her friends, the ones that, God, imagine, that, imagine what God was able to do through that, saving that woman. Because she associated herself with others that had turned their nose up toward and called them outcasts. 
And she said, come and see a man who's told me everything about myself. So she came and she invited us. So she ran away, but it was for the right reason. So when the devil tries to set a stone in your way, just tell him he can't because you know the truth and no one can set a stone on someone who's been freed by the stone. And it's important that we understand that. So only God can give the true gift of faith. And when we come to faith in him, the Bible says all things are possible. It says with God, all things are possible. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So look at the conclusion of these ladies in verse 4 and 5. God had already taken care of their greatest concern. (laughs) Notice this. I love this part. And everybody say looking. And looking up. You tired of being discouraged? You tired of being depleted? You tired of the war that goes on in relationships in your life? You tired of sin? Then look up. Look up. Because a lot of those things are just stones that either the enemy uses or that are self-inflicted. And if you will seek Jesus, you'll find him today. If you'll respond to the Holy Spirit, you will find him. No matter what stones are put there. Look at verse 5. That stone was large, but entering the tomb. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. So here's the truth that I see. Even though Pilate put a stone over the tomb, there was a greater stone within the tomb. You know the truth behind that? The the stone was put there to seal, S-E-A-L. So what the enemy and, and, and Pilate was trying to do to seal the body to keep those who had followed Jesus at this point from seeing in, it was used to be a seal so they couldn't see, so they couldn't pay their respect. See, but here's the beauty in that. When you respond to the Holy Spirit of God on your life and you say, God, I'm tired of my sin. I'm sorry I sinned. God, I repent of my sins. I want you to come into my heart and and, and save me. The moment you utter that in your heart... The moment you utter that, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. So here's the point. What Pilate and the enemy tried to bring as a seal to keep the people out from seeing Jesus, and they were so concerned about it was their greatest concern. Here's the point. You can't seal from the outside when there's a greater seal on the inside. Y'all with me? You can't do it. You can't do it. Pastor, how do you keep from going down a road that's continual sin like where you should be going down in the flesh? Because there's a greater seal on me. There's a greater seal in me. There's a stone. The cornerstone is our living hope. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, look at this, he has caused us. (laughs) He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. I love that word. They were trying to guard the tomb. Pilate and his soldiers and his host of soldiers trying to guard the tomb. (laughs) But no way was their guarding greater than God's guarding and what God wanted and what God was going to do. Guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So your hope, I want to talk with you about that real quick. Your hope is whatever you believe gains you access to heaven. Your hope is whatever you believe gains you access to heaven. 
Now, there are people sitting in this room right now, I have no doubt, it's in every church today, as we gather for Easter, that if someone looked at you right now and said, hey, do you believe you're going to die one day? If, if you look around and realize that there's not going to be any scientists who keep people from dying, it's appointed unto man wants to die, and then the judgment. And then they said, and you said, yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. People dying all the time. Don't see that change. Okay, good. Because it's not going to change. Um, and then they said, do you know that you'll spend eternity in heaven when you draw that last breath? See, there's some people who would say, I hope so, man. I hope so. Because that's what I would call a false hope. See, but you look at somebody else that's been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You look at somebody else who's been downcast, who's been discouraged, who knows the, what it's like to be in that sin and be tired of that sin, who's been to the throne of God because of the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world and been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You're, you're, you're going to hear about a hope. But it's not going to be that same hope. It's going to be a hope that leads to, I know so. I know so. I know so. And so it's the power of the resurrected Christ that changes all of us. It changes everything. So what's your hope? The Jews' hope was in a political king. That's why they rejected him. The, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees' hope was in trying to keep the law and impress others, same as the cultic religions today and same as some church members sitting in churches, trying to do it in their power. But it must be the hope of the resurrected king. And then in verse 6, he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See the place. So here's the question as you bow your head and you close your eyes. What is your hope built on? Because my hope, friend, and if you're a true believer this morning, your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. <laughs> than Jesus' blood. Have you been, have you been to Jesus? Have you been to the place where you acknowledge and you believe with all certainty you're a sinner in need of a Savior and there's a resurrected King? And you've turned your life over to Him. Because I tell you, you'll experience His amazing grace when you're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Peter did it. For all the agnostics and atheists, I've got to tell you this. God told Peter, I'm going to change your name to stone. I'm going to change your name to stone, which meant a little, little stone. Not a pope, but a little stone. And I want to tell you something. This guy named Peter was on the run the whole time. He denied him when he said he wasn't. He was a coward. But that's not how he stayed. So what would cause him from going from being a coward to preaching boldly, boldly the gospel? It was a resurrected king encounter. It was an, it was an encounter. Why die as a martyr for a cause you knew was fake, false, or phony? You've got to remember these disciples were on the run in a locked house. The ladies had to go to them to encourage them to come out and see him. 
So the myths that they stole his body, that they fabricated a lie, you lie, you, you don't, you don't, you lie to get out of trouble. And they were running from, they didn't want to be the next one dragged out by the Roman soldiers. Why in God's name, when, when, when people were criticizing them and persecuting them, why in God's name would they go where those soldiers are and, and get around the tomb when they were living in fear that they might be next? Why die for somebody, someone dead who you denied when he was alive? Fox News said this morning that 75,000 Christians in the past year have died for their faith. I pray that's the faith we have. I pray we don't have an Americanized faith or Christianity. I pray that we would live for Jesus even in a third world country. I pray the resurrection has impacted you because the resurrection proves Jesus is the only stone our sins can be placed upon. <laughs> they said, they mocked him, you saved others, save yourself. Oh, he did. Right before he took his last breath, he was still in the business of saving a thief. And then he, he raised his own self up three days later. The resurrection proves Jesus is the only stone to build your life upon. Many have claimed to be God or the way to God, but only one has proven. And the resurrection of Jesus proves he is a stone who has prepared for us a future home. Listen very closely to me, please, in closing. There is, there is life after death. There is life after death. And the reason that angel told these ladies to go and tell the disciples was that God wanted them to see there was a resurrected king. There was a hope for the sin of man. There was a spotless sacrifice. And so God rolled away the stone that day through the angel to allow us to not be downcast, discouraged, depressed, to allow him to deal with those stones in between us. And he wants to roll away the stone of sin this morning and replace it with a stone of salvation you can build your life upon, Jesus Christ, the risen stone. So then you will go and you will tell others about the stone. Come and see a man. So if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I thought I was coming in here just to kind of do the traditional thing, but today God has spoke to me in a way that I just wasn't quite expecting. I've been challenged in a way that I didn't come in expecting. And God has shown me that I have never responded to the Spirit's drawing on my life to die to every other stone and to come to Jesus and come by way of the cross. If that's you, if that's you, in regards to how you walked in, if that's you, I want you to pray in your heart right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess that I am nothing but a sinner. I confess I can't save myself. There is no good in me, spiritually speaking. And so, Lord, I turn from my sin. I come to you as a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, and I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior right now. I cherish this relationship with you above all other relationships. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give God glory for those who may have prayed that after hearing the gospel? Amen. Let's that hand clap. Love it. Because that's the main thing, guys. That's what it's about.
Now here's what we're going to do. As you stand to your feet, if you prayed that, if you prayed that, I, I want you to do something for me today, okay? We're not going to point you out. We're not going to bombard you. I, I do wish you'd come by and tell me because that's going to be greater than the Cadbury eggs I'm about to tear up here in about an hour, all right? And the ham. Because that's the greatest decision you can make. So tell me before you leave. If you're a little timid and say, oh, I don't, or I got to go, I got time, well, then take that card you received real quick. Write your name down and write down, I received Jesus. Or write down whatever you've done, like where you're at in your life. You may say, I've been saved, but I've never been baptized. Then say, I want to be baptized, and we'll follow up and get you in line for May for baptism. All right? But hey, listen, I want you to know something. We love you. God loves you more than anybody. As I tell these kids during the week in our daycare ministry, preschool ministry, um, that God loves you more than anybody. And you cling that old rugged cross, and you walk in the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And get in a local church every week because it's God's heartbeat to continue to use you for his glory to help set the captives free. Can we give God glory and praise one more time this morning? Amen. All right. Hey, I want to wish you all, from my family to yours, a happy Easter. Go have a wonderful day with family. And don't give up on those lost family members. Keep praying for them in Jesus' name because he can roll the stones away in their life. Amen. God bless you. Happy Easter.